Good morning, everyone. You know, that, that's, uh, that's quite the pressure, the, the best part of the morning. I don't, I don't know about that. I think, I think worship is pretty good, too. So, so how about we just agree that it's a saw-off and that they're both equally important. And in fact, I know what Carlin's doing there. So Carlin, it's not, this is nothing with Carlin. But actually, potentially, actually, even more important than that is what you do now with what you hear as we go forth from here. So I'll, I'll lay that before you. That actually, the, the best part of this and the most important thing is what you do as with what you hear from the Word this morning. All right, I trust you that I, my wife said before that maybe I, she wasn't hearing me before, so I trust that this is working. If not, I'm assuming, I'm, if I look down, it's because I'm looking for a text that's going to say, I can't hear you. Um, yeah, technology, right? This, this again, you know, it's, this is not ideal, and uh, I, I have, every week that we come here and it's like, you know, it's empty apart from a few of us, it's, it's like this, this is not the way that it's meant to be. And, and um, a few people said to me this week, they said, man, can't wait to get back to in-person worship. And I'm like, yes, like, like me too. So uh, Pete Scazzaro, some of you in, have heard that name. I've mentioned him before. He wrote a book, a really powerful book years ago called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality that um, has, has been a real blessing, I know, to many of us. And he's just recently wrote another new book on this topic called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And I'm excited to dig into it. I have it. I haven't quite dug into it. But he did a, he did a podcast on the whole book as well, uh, on each chapter. And I was listening to one of the podcasts this week on the chapter that's titled Following the Crucified Jesus, Not the Americanized Jesus, or I would say the Western Jesus for, for us Canadians. But, it, but in this podcast, he was speaking about discipleship to Jesus as being formed to the way of Jesus. And, 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 you know, the point is that we are deeply formed in ourselves as a result of our history, as a result of our culture, and et cetera, et cetera. And then what Jesus does is Jesus comes into our lives and he breaks up the cement of what has been formed in our lives. If you think of it like that, like we have cement in our, that's encasing us and things that have formed us. And he's breaking that apart in order to reform us to his discipleship and to his way. And so I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this morning as we get into this new series. And I, I've desired for a while to preach on this series that we've titled I Am. Uh, and, and it's around the I Am statements that are found in the Gospel of John, seeking to see Jesus for all that he is for us. And, and Jesus, what he's doing in these statements in John is he's revealing who he is by saying, I am. And if you're like, that has Old Testament echoes to it, you'd be right. Because when Moses asks God, he says, who should I say is sending me? And he's got this dialogue with God. And God replies to Moses. He says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am, all caps, has sent, you, has sent me to you. 
And the point of that is, what God was, was making the point to Moses is, I am the very essence of existence. Everything is in me. There's not, it's not even about a name. I just, I am. I am the very nature of existence. And so Jesus is making this point here. He's saying, I am the very essence of God. And so these are incredible statements that we find in the Gospel of John. Statements that when received, internalized, and lived out will change our lives. And, and I believe that Jesus specifically means, and means, or sorry, has specifically meant, and he means currently, because he is the living word now, for this to be the case for his followers. That, that we would grapple with the enormity of these statements and that they would be transformative for our lives as we apply them to our lives. And, and so in Matthew 16, 21 to 23, just before we get into John, I want to I just highlight something, um, this dialogue in Matthew. Because Jesus began to show himself there uh, to his disciples, and he talked about his suffering and his death and his crucifixion that was coming. And in that account in Matthew, we realize Peter has no grid for this. Peter has a view of Jesus that is going to lead them to popularity, to success, to greatness. He's going to be the conquering Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to deal with all the issues and all the problems and reign. And so Jesus, when he says this, Peter takes him aside and he says, like, he begins to rebuke Jesus. And he's like, listen, Jesus, this is not the way that it's going to go. And Jesus is so swift then in his rebuke of Peter. Peter is trying to lead Jesus, and Jesus sees the immense danger of this perspective. And he says, Peter, you are setting your, thing, your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. And Jesus, he actually sees it as the deceptive work of Satan. That's why he actually addresses Peter. He's like, he sees right through, he says, get behind me, Satan. Satan, you are the one behind this deception. You go, whoa, like those are strong words. They're very strong words. And one thing we see in that exchange is perspective is crucial for our discipleship to Jesus. Where we believe Jesus is leading us, what we expect Jesus to do for us, that was the issue with Peter. And in the West, we've got a lot of confusion around this because we've interpreted Jesus' resurrection and defeat of death as proof that Jesus' victory promises us the good life as his followers. And this runs through Christian, Western Christian ideology all over the place to varying levels. But it's there, and it's in, it's in the fabric of every one of our lives because of the culture. And it's completely misguided. It's supported more by the affluence of our culture than it is by biblical truth. These views ignore just massive sections of the New Testament that reveal that discipleship to Jesus is actually hard and it's not understood by the world. But we find ourselves reading, um, reading these Western ideologies, experiencing in them, and putting, reading them and these perspectives into Scripture. We actually read our ideologies and our perspectives from this culture. We read them into Scripture. We embrace interpretations that support our preferences, that suit us and are comfortable. And then we get thrown for a loop, a real loop, 
when life happens and all sorts of challenges, difficulties, and things outside of our control begin to impact our lives, and we wonder, where is Jesus? Why, why is he allowing this to happen to me? And what we realize is that our misguided theology cannot make sense of our reality. And so this is why seeing Jesus for all he is is critical for our discipleship to his way so that we have clarity to follow his kingdom and surrender to his lordship. And so I want to invite you as we go through this series in John to receive, to internalize, and seek to live out the words of Jesus that we are going to look at over the next seven weeks in these I am statements in John's gospel. Now, if you've watched a little, any of The Chosen, the first episode of, of the season two of The Chosen, there's this scene where you see John, the Apostle John, discussing with his mother in the future there are stories about Jesus, and he's beginning to record the gospel of John, and they're, and they're having this back and forth about, do you remember this? And, and it's this, this incredible picture you see of how his gospel quite possibly could have come about in them remembering how, what Jesus said and what he did. And, and you see the intentionality there of John remembering certain things. And how the Holy Spirit at the same time was guiding him and others around him as he wrote and as they remembered. And I love to think about that when it comes to these I am statements. Because they obviously resonated with John. And they continue to resonate to this day with followers of Jesus. And so this morning, we begin with the first I am in John 6. Where he says, I am the bread of of life. Now, the backstory to this dialogue in John 6 is actually, it's really important. It's connected to the feeding of the 5,000 that, that he's just done, that miraculous miracle. Now, it's interesting because John makes mention before the feeding of the 5,000 that the Passover was on the horizon. It was at hand. It was, so, pass, the Passover would have been on the minds of the people. It's a big deal. God's deliverance. And then Jesus performs this incredible, incredible miracle with food and the multiplication of the five uh, loaves and the two fishes. And, he sa- and there's some really interesting aspects to how John records what happened there. He mentions that Jesus said, let nothing be wasted. He, he, it, we realize how people were captivated by Jesus. It says that they, Jesus realized that they intended to make him king by force. And so he withdrew and, and because he, did not, he, did, he wasn't going to meet their expectations. And so he goes away to pray. And the disciples, they get in a boat. And they're going to go across the lake or the Sea of Galilee. They're going to go over to Capernaum. And Jesus goes up and he goes on a mountain to pray. And then he comes to them in the middle of the night and he walks on the water. I mean, you can imagine like this is, this is getting weird and freaky. But he gets into the boat with them. And the next day, the crowd, these, these 5,000 or so, well, more than that, because the, the 5,000 was only accounting for the men. So thousands of people are there, and they're like, hey, 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 where did Jesus go? Like, like we saw his disciples get into the boat, and we know that they left, but we know Jesus didn't get into the boat with them, so what, where is he? And they were looking for him. And so they go over to Capernaum, at least some of them go over to Capernaum, maybe thousands descended on Capernaum, and... They, they search for him. And when they find him, 
they ask, when did you get here? <laughs> they ask Jesus. So that, that's the, the context for this discussion. So if you want to turn, I'm not going to have scripture up on the screen today because I'm reading a bit. And so actually I want to invite you right now, if you're, you're at home, wherever you are, if you have the ability, get a Bible, get your Bible in front of you, get it open to John 6. We're going to read uh, passages here, quite a few verses out of John 6 this morning. So we're going to start at verse 26. So get your Bibles out and let's, let's get into the Word together. Verse 26. So they said, Jesus, when did you get here? Jesus answered. Now, he doesn't answer their question. He says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Now, I love a good loaf of bread. I really do. I love artisan bread. Uh, as I was thinking about this yesterday, I'm like, man, like, should I go out and like, get a loaf of artisan bread? But you know, even more than artisan bread, what I loved growing up, my grandma used to bake fresh baked brown bread. Her recipe was like perfect. Like I have not had another loaf of bread, I don't think, that has, been, has topped her bread growing up. And when, when she would bake bread and then offer to bring it to us or have us over, it was like, this was the thing. This, this bread was like awesome. And so that was unbelievable bread. Now I've got bread here. This is, uh, this is pretty good bread. I mean, it's not cheap. Yeah. Oh, this is good bread too. This is, um, oh, I can't remember what they call this stuff. Anyways, whatever. It's, it's kind of like a version of rye. I'm sorry, this probably sounds terrible as I'm talking. I'm chewing, but guys, I love bread. It really does. So, like, I'm going to come back to that. Mm. Sorry, you guys, I'm making you hungry. If you got bread at home, like, go ahead, pull out your loaf of bread right now and start eating bread. It's good. Jesus, Jesus did it. Cool. Okay. So what, is, what does bread do? Like, besides tasting wonderful, some of you might disagree with me, that's okay. It's still, it's still a fact that bread tastes wonderful. Bread nourishes and sustains us physically. Bread was actually the primary source of nourishment for the people that Jesus is speaking to as he's doing this. 
And, and, and it remains the case actually today for many third world countries that bread is, the ba- is a, their primary food. It's a basic universal food in different forms, obviously, but it's bread. And that's the picture here. Jesus is the source of life for all people. There is no other source. So when Jesus talks about this, how, how, do, we, how do we internalize and live this out in our lives. Because the common interpretation can be to see this highlighting the importance of being in the Word, being in Scripture, right? We can, we can naturally connect this to Matthew 4, where Jesus is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and he's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days, and Satan comes to him and tries to tempt him, like, take these stones and turn them into bread, which Jesus could have done, like, boom. And Jesus denies that, and he says, Listen, Satan, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 there. And, and so we see that there Jesus is talking about how Scripture is spiritual food for us. But, but is that all that Jesus means when he's speaking about being the bread of life? Like, is, it just, is he just basically saying get into, into the word? Or is it more? And so I'd ask you a question. What... What is regarded as the most important ingredient in baking a nice loaf of bread? Like, if you want a nice loaf of bread to rise, what do you need, period? Yeast, right? Absolutely. Like, like if you don't have yeast, you're not getting a nice loaf of bread. For bread to rise, you need yeast to permeate in the dough. And, and it's interesting because in Mark 8, in another account, Jesus, he warns his disciples and he says, watch out for the leaven, or that was another word for yeast. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And he was getting it. Watch out for their teaching, which if it permeates your life, is dangerous. And so Jesus' words, and by that I mean scripture, because Jesus is the word made flesh, are to be like yeast in the bread that he offers us. His word permeates it all, but bread also has other ingredients. You don't just get bread presto with yeast, but you definitely need yeast. In John's gospel, Jesus, he's speaking about himself as the bread of life. He's he's talking about how he gives all of us to himself, all of himself. And what he's getting at is his life is to permeate our lives. Scripture leads us to Jesus. So scripture is definitely part of it. Scripture is what leads us to him. But it's all of Jesus. In Jesus, and this is I think the point that that he's making, we find all that we need to be sustained, nourished, and satisfied. Both in this life and in the life to come. And he makes that clear as we go on here. So we see that Jesus is the one who satisfies. Jesus reveals in verse 26, the people were looking for him for what they could give, what he could give them physically. They they were impressed with the physical food. He's like, you ate and you had your fill and that's why you're coming after me again. Like, you want more. The people were focused on the material world around them, what Jesus could give them. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear, I'm not interested in that. 
Jesus says, in fact, that's a pointless pursuit. Everything material eventually spoils everything. And we think we know what we need for a happy and content life. We, we, you all actually have an internal list of what you think you need for a happy and a content life. Which is another reason why COVID is such a battle because that what we're going through right now has altered this internal list that we have. And it's, and it's thrown off our equilibrium of what we think we need for a happy and a content life. And Jesus tells us not to get caught up in this. Don't make your life the pursuit of the temporary. Rather, he says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. And so the crowd, they hear this and they once again, they respond and they say, well, what must we do, Jesus? What do we have to do to do this? What, what, what's the work that God requires? What must we do to make ourselves good enough to satisfy God? These, these are the questions that drive all the world religions. The people want a God who will fulfill their longings and lead them into safety and success. They want it. That's why they looked at Jesus and they wanted a political Messiah. You're going to give us what we want. This, this is still the expectation that we battle today. Look at the passion, the fervor, the anger around politics and religion. Look at, look at even the last days, the stuff that's driving people. And it comes down to a basic question. What are we expecting of God or what are we doing for God out of expectation? If I do this, I will get this. And Jesus responds, verse 29, and he says, it's all about believing in him. And, and now the context for how we believe, what, what we, how we understand this belief is worked out later as this discussion goes on. And it comes clear later when he's talking to his disciples that he says, where he says, some of you do not believe. And what he's getting at is some of you aren't going to follow me. And so belief is not about anything else, but it is about following it's about embracing all that Jesus is. It's not mere intellectual agreement in believing in Jesus. It's about total dependence on Jesus. And, and as this conversation continues, the people, they're, they're still expecting Jesus to do what they want, what they expect. What miraculous sign are you going to do for us, Jesus? What are you going to do for us, Jesus, that's going to make us believe in you? How are you going to show up in my life so that I'm going to believe in you? That's what they're getting at. They, they, they refer to Moses and the manna from heaven. We're going, to, we're going to get to that in a second. But Jesus, he answers in a cryptic sort of way. He says, you need the true bread from heaven. And he says in verse 33, this bread of God is he, is he, he says. He, so he personifies this bread. He says it's a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says you need the bread that satisfies. And the people respond and they say, oh yeah, oh yeah. From now on, give us this bread. Now let's go on. So they say this and Jesus declares, verse 35, and Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. We see here that Jesus is the one who nourishes Jesus just responds when they say, give us this bread always. He responds with clarity and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the one you need. When you come to me, he says, you will never hunger. You'll never thirst. There's echoes there of his past conversation he had with the Samaritan woman at the well that we read in John 4. He's like, you'll never hunger or thirst for other substitutes when you come to me. And there's this idea here of ingesting all that Jesus is into our lives, the partaking of his life for complete nourishment. And the difference here is striking because Jesus tells the crowd that if they're looking at him as a vending machine, like just supply us with the physical and temporary benefits and we're good, Jesus says you've missed it completely. What he's getting at for them is I am so much more. Jesus, he's, he's making references here to God's provision of manna in the wilderness for his people. And there's an echo here of, to Exodus when God supplies food for his people there. And, and what happened there is that every morning, God sent forth this manna down from heaven. And every morning, they were to gather up to two liters of this bread from heaven for each person in their family. And each morning, Except for the Sabbath, they were to go out and they were to gather this bread. And, and, so, and God would supply them enough so that on the Sabbath, it, they would have enough. But when the people tried to gather more, they tried to circumvent what God had told them. They're like, oh, you know, we can go and hoard all a bunch of this stuff. And we can put it here by our tents and, and then we don't have to collect every morning. We're going to do this our way. And they came out the next morning. And what is it full of? It's full of maggots. That's awesome. And it stinks. And God's like, I told you, this is the parameters of how I'm going to supply for you. God was teaching his people, you need to rely on me daily for your nourishment. When we try to take this into our own hands, the result is spoiled food. And Jesus connects this to any inclination to see him as simply a means for our temporal fulfillment. The stuff that will always spoil. Rather, we're to come to him daily for our ongoing nourishment. He's saying, you cannot live without me. You're like, well, Paul, I'm living fine. Like, I'm living, I'm breathing. And Jesus would say, oh, yeah, you are. But you're not living life in me if you're not coming to me. In me is the fullness of life. And there's this wonderful promise here of security in verse 35 to 40. For those who come to Christ, for those who partake of his life and find their nourishment in him, there is no chance that they will be driven away or lost. The only requirement is that you stay close to Jesus. Failures, mistakes, bad decisions, 
sinful tendencies, all those things in us, Satan's goal is to drive you away from Jesus by getting you to buy into the guilt and to the shame. And he'll convince you, he's going to seek to convince you, you're not good enough. You haven't met the mark. Might as well pursue other substitutes to find fulfillment because you don't meet the mark for Jesus. And those, those are lies and deceptions that do lead people away from Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me. Stay close. Partake of my nourishment. Now, it was at this point that the, some of the people there they began to grumble about what Jesus was saying, and they actually began to discredit him. They said, ha, who is this? He's just one of us. Like, we know his parents. He's the son of Joseph and Mary. Like, who's this guy? He came down from heaven. Who, we know who this is. So this is what happens, and Jesus goes on and says, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has, a, has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I, give, I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum, or in Capernaum. So Jesus is the one who sustains we see that here. Jesus, he again, he makes comparison to manna and its miraculous appearance in the desert. And he, yet he reminds us, he says, yeah, that was miraculous, it came down, but those who ate it, they still died. It wasn't sufficient for eternal life. But Jesus says, I am sufficient. I can and will sustain those who partake of me. You will have eternal life. Jesus is making incredibly bold claims here. He's like, don't look to other substitutes. Don't be buying into the lies and the deception of Satan. Don't be chasing here and there for substitutes. No, 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 no. Come to me. Eat my bread. Mm. He's like, Every time you feel going somewhere else, eat my bread. Mm. Like, this is good bread. Now, can you imagine, like, you're eating, right now, I, you're eating of the sufficiency of Jesus. 
Like he's saying, don't look elsewhere. Mm. Mm. Enjoy me. I am sufficient. You, you don't eat other stuff that's going to lead to death. This eat of me that is going to lead to eternal life. Mmm. Nah, it's good. I hope you're eating some bread right now. You guys want a piece? Good. Now, okay. So, of course, Jesus is speaking in metaphors here, right? Like, he's, he's not leading us to cannibalism. He's not doing that. And the people are like, that's what they were thinking. But it's highlighting the way that we can see and respond to Jesus in our lives. And in verse 52, the crowd, like they're agitated once again and they're arguing. Like, how can this man, this man, and they realize, note that what they say, how can this man, this man, he's just a man, how can he give us his flesh to eat? And again and again, in this discourse, if you go through it and look, the people are fixated on the natural realm. It starts with, hey, Jesus, keep us stuffed with this bread that you multiplied. We want more of that. We, we ate and had our fill, and we're coming to you because we want more. Just keep giving us this bread. And then they're like, when, when, when they don't like what he says, oh, you're just Joseph's son. And then when he goes on, and they really don't like what he's saying, they're like, how can you give us your flesh? The point is, what we're meant to see is they are fixated in the natural. Everything's in the natural realm. That's the danger right now in our culture. Just keep fixated on the natural. And this is the inherent danger. The choice of how we will respond to Jesus. We compartmentalize him. We see him as serving our purposes. Jesus, we like you. We want you. Just keep serving our purposes. Or we see in him that there is everything that we need. Dallas Willard, he makes the point in his book on discipleship, The Great Omission. He says that we segregate Jesus into the arena of faith, but we keep him out of other areas in our lives. We don't actually see him as the most intelligent person that's ever walked this earth. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We look at this person for astroph as an astrophysicist. We look at this person as, a, as the real expert in biology. We look at this person as the, you know, the mecca of engineering. Do you realize that Jesus is the most intelligent person ever? Period. He's God. I don't actually think, I wonder sometimes if we don't actually think about that that he actually has more intelligence than every single person. Therefore, he can speak into everything. We actually, what we can do if we don't realize that is we actually undermine him in our arrogance like the crowd here, and we compartmentalize him. And Jesus doubles down in his response after this. It has echoes of the Last Supper. Jesus is speaking about the sufficiency of his flesh and his blood, and we need, to, we need to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood if we're going to have his life, and no, Jesus is not going full vampire mode on us, okay? So he's not leading us to cannibalism, he's not leading us into vampir being vampires, he's making a powerful point. You must see me as the very source of your life. In me is life. So just 
Again, when you're living life, and Jesus is like, come and partake of me. Mm. Come and eat of me. Mm-hmm. Don't look to other substances. Keep eating my bread. Keep eating. Mm. I'm sorry if this is distracting and annoying. This is really good bread. I hope it's driving the point. Keep feasting on Jesus. Mm. Man. Now, remember what John mentions. If you go back to kind of the beginning of this story that connects to the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, or sorry, John mentions that this is taking place right before the Passover. That's a big deal. The people are all ready for Passover, they're getting ready. And Jesus is clearly making connections here. Israel, in the desert of Sinai, could not sustain themselves. God had delivered them from slavery. The people could not sustain themselves out of that. They were dependent on God giving them bread from heaven. Jesus here, he's pointing to his death and resurrection and being the source of all life who's going to lead us out of spiritual slavery. And we cannot sustain ourselves. Nothing in this world can sustain us and give us what we need. Nothing. We are dependent on the bread that has come down from heaven, the bread of life, Jesus. So how do Jesus' followers respond to this? Let's read a few verses here to end. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Again, he's not just speaking to the 12 here, right? This is the wider, this is the wider group of people who are following him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. So now he's going inner circle and he's saying, you guys want to leave too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Why is this a hard teaching? It's not about what Jesus can give you or will give you. That's one reason. It's not about that. This is not about Jesus serving our interests, Jesus serving our passions, him fitting into our boxes, and him fitting into our life, and we like him when that happens. This is about Jesus as the sustaining force of life for our lives. And it lays a question before us that every one of us will answer with our lives. Will we follow? Peter responds by saying, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. You are the Holy One of God. It is an eye-opening moment. Peter's going, 
You're the one. We're not going anywhere else. This is what we need to internalize, and this is precisely what others need to hear. I'll come back to that in just a sec here. I want to wrap up by leaving you with two, two things. First, I want to answer the question very quickly here. How do, how do I come? If you're saying, okay, Paul, how do I come and receive Jesus' nourishment for my life? And I want to give you some quick bullet points here of how we do this. First, get physical rest to experience phys- spiritual rest. Physical rest is really important, actually, in order to get spiritual rest. Those two go hand in hand. Jesus consistently got away to rest and recharge with his Father. Second is eat of his word. Eugene Peterson's got this great book called Eat This Book. That's the title of it. And it's simply about learning how to feast on the words of Scripture, to sit with Scripture. Don't just go to Scripture for dopamine hits. What I mean by that is don't just go to Scripture for little snippets of verses taken out of context that make you feel good and give you the little dopamine hits like social media does. Go, oh, oh, that's good. Yeah, that makes me feel good. Okay, I'm good. I've got my Scripture intake. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about feasting on Scripture, eating this book. Third, sit with Jesus. Slow down. Invite Jesus to speak to you. Silence and solitude is so important. This is about part of learning and growing in hearing God. And we're going we're gonna to run another course in, of that in the fall, which is a really great tool of learning. Tools of how can we hear God and how can we slow down and learn how to sit with Jesus. Fourth, I'm going to change the metaphor up here a little bit. Don't see Jesus as just one piece of the loaf. So if this loaf is your life, don't see Jesus as just one piece. Rather, see him as part of the whole loaf. That Jesus permeates everything in your life. I know I'm switching up the metaphor, but that's, I, think, I think it's okay. I want to end now with some application. I, just, I want to, So that's, those are some ways that you can begin to receive Jesus' nourishment or go on receiving Jesus' nourishment. Now I want to give you some application to go away with and to sit with questions and to allow the Lord as you sit with Jesus to speak to you. What are the substitutes in my life that I am eating to try and sustain and nourish me? Where am I looking for Jesus to serve my material desires and wants? Where, what do I need to confess and repent of? Third, where is Jesus inviting me to come and receive his life? And fourth, who is Jesus laying on my heart who needs to know that Jesus has the words of eternal life? We do want to make this missional. We are called to be a missional people, not just because it's Pentecost Sunday. We're called to be a missional people because that's who the people of God are. It's really interesting there in this discourse, verse 44, and then in verse 65, again, Jesus twice talks about the Father drawing people to himself, that they can't come to him unless the Father draws them. This is so helpful. This is the way that we can pray and interact missionally with people. 
right there, is we can pray, who are those that the Holy Spirit is softening and drawing? Right now, the Holy Spirit has people around us that the Holy Spirit is softening and drawing. And we can pray that God leads us to those people. Because what's really helpful is you are not required to reach every single person around you. That's a daunting, debilitating expectation. You're not. You're actually responsible for the people in your sphere to reach those whom the Holy Spirit is drawing and he's laying on your heart and saying, okay, Carlin, that's who you're supposed to go to. Jen, that's who you're supposed to go to. I'm already preparing them. Now you are just called to share me. That's that's how we can be missional. All right, let's, let's pray as we wrap up. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the one who sustains, nourishes, and fills us. You're the one who satisfies us. You are the bread of life, Jesus. We believe that. Help us to not just believe this, but now to internalize this and seek to live this out, that we would go forth as people who Jesus is the one who provides everything that I need. In him is all the sufficiency that I need. God, we need you in these days. These days are highlighting the desperate need that we have for you. And I pray that that's one aspect that you would use that to reveal that to us more and more, Lord, that where we are looking to substitutes, would you reveal that to us? And Lord, would you lead us in confession and repentance to come to you? Jesus, we thank you that you are so faithful. We thank you that you remain faithful at all times. And we receive your life. We want to feast on your life. Lord, help us this week and beyond, that we would feast on you. That we would encounter you in a new way. Lord, I want to pray that we would encounter you as we feast on you, that we would encounter you and see, whoa, I didn't realize that that's, that's who Jesus is. Pray you'd meet us through your Holy Spirit. You'd manifest yourself to us in ways that we'd go like, whoa, whoa. As we feast on you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing.